Good morning. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. We are the clay. Mold us and make us after thy will. While we are waiting, yielded and still. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is Talking Sense. Preaching amid suffering is hard. Finding holy words on rock-bottom days when I can't find my footing and trying to speak with a mustard seed of faith stuck in between my teeth with a tear-stained face is a delicate balance. I am teetering and tottering on the brink of falling apart while being expected to hold heavy things, harmful things, humiliating things, inhumane and unholy things. Only a few buttons hold me together. I always leave hospital rooms shaky, knees wobbly, eyes twitching with each beep and blink of the machines, because I don't enter rooms to save the day or to take the pain away. My clergy robe is not a symbol of strength. No, my ragged shred of righteousness doesn't double as a cape, but a sackcloth. I believe in mourning, in holding your face while you learn how to speak God from scratch and holding space for our shared realities of pain and suffering, of rejection and betrayal, of abuse, gaslighting and manipulation, of assaults of all kinds and on all fronts, of murder and the mayhem that follows, of soul murder, of deprivation of identity, of starvation of feelings, of surviving only to be robbed of your one last hope. Of worlds turned upside down and dumped out in the street, of words turned back and used against us, of wars unceasing, of the back and forth of conflict, of literal and metaphorical bridge burning, of hostage taking, will breaking defeats, abusing women, and children, and the elderly, of moral injury, and systems and institutions failing, rather than accept what's happening. Please, let's not talk about the sweet by and by right now. Let's acknowledge that villains, monsters, and boogeymen exist just not under our beds or in our closets. Let's not pretend that life is not sometimes scary. 
heaven is a go-to happy ending because we know, don't we? We know that we can't guarantee one on earth. Instead, let's keep our feet on the ground. Faith should not keep our heads in the clouds. Even God was down to earth. Jesus is word made our reality. He was a homeless, couch surfing, uninsured, unmarried, childless, and often misunderstood savior. And I can't think of a single church that would call him as their pastor. Yeah. So come on and tell me about what is really happening, how you're struggling, your head spinning, your life dangling at the end of a paycheck, living one day at a time, living week to week or biweekly or month to month. Who comes up with this? Tell me why this socially color-coded hierarchy, this capitalist, classist, patriarchal arrangement is not working and how hard it is to make a living and to make meaning of any of this. Tell me about the rising cost of living, the price of existing, of taking up space that rightly belongs to you, of being marked present on planet Earth. Tell me about how all the numbers just don't add up and the days don't amount to much or not as much as you expected, given your age, your gender, your experience, your expectations, your degrees, the stage in life, your plans. My plans, what about my plans? This is not what I had planned. Why is this not working out? I invested in God's salvation plan. Why is this not working out? Tell me about how you're up one day and down the next. How you don't know what to expect. How you had everything and everyone figured out. But now you don't know about anything anymore. Tell me about the rug that was pulled from under you. Tell me what time it was when it all came crashing down. Tell me. Tell me, what did you see when you looked up and saw the world, not as you wanted it to be, but as it is? Tell me about how you can do all the right things and life still not come out right, despite taking all the necessary precautions and all the right steps, even when you try to fall fall in line and follow in someone else's footsteps. Results may vary. Tell me how nothing is really promised, certain, or real, that this vapored life is here today and gone tomorrow, because it really is all up in the air. Tell me about failure and disappointment and how quickly joy can be swapped out for pain. Tell me about your addiction 
Oh, come off of it. And the way it conflicts with how you see yourself. Tell me about immense loss and unbearable grief of days and weeks in bed of uncombed hair, unbathed body, unbrushed teeth, unfilled stomach, and how you heaved because you could not vomit. Tell me how you kept it in. Too afraid to say it, to show it, to confess it, to let it out, to scream for fear that someone would notice that you're not acting like yourself, that something's wrong. Tell me about the shortage of people who want to hear it, that will admit that they can feel your pain. Tell me about the number of places that have room for it and allow you to take all the time and space you need, who don't make promises that it will be better by Sunday, and then tell me, tell me about the silence, because the words aren't readily available, easily accessible, or encouraged to come into being. Tell me how long you've hurt, muffled your cries, painted on a smile, and dressed up your pain. Because you and I know that some people don't believe that suffering is possible for those who have faith. They say, you've just got to have more faith. As if you or I can run to the market and fill up our carts, our hearts, our souls with it. Margaret Ann Huffman wrote, we are ill-equipped for the darkness outside our small circle of certainty. We confess, too, that we have worn our faith like a rabbit's foot on a keychain. If we kept it with us, nothing bad could befall us. Wrong, Lord, wrong. For darkness tarnishes lucky charms and saps imitation strength. I don't know what they think faith is, but it's not easy to come by, especially after you have suffered. So tell me when you found out that they would judge you, when there was no relief, no healing of the disease, when death came despite their pleas, when your spouse left and they averted their eyes. Tell me when you stopped telling them the truth because your suffering just didn't make sense, because it wasn't because of something you did, because suffering isn't God's punishment, because human beings have free will and will do the worst to each other because they can. Tell me about this sobering acknowledgement, this lonely awareness, this self-isolating understanding. And I will tell you that you know suffering. There is a French expression 
to suffer passes. To have suffered never passes. Suffering is not something any of us get over. We simply live with it or its memory. We try, God knows, we try to learn from it. Try not to let it take up too much space. Try not to relive it. Try not to resuscitate it. Try to breathe through it while watching it reshape who we are and want it to be. We didn't want to change, but you're never the same after suffering. Leslie Weatherhead writes in Salute to a Sufferer. No one denies that immense good has been achieved in the world by suffering saints, but it was not the suffering that made them saints. It was their reaction to suffering. God does not need any kind of evil, and suffering is evil to accomplish God's good. A good portion of my work is truth-telling, followed by lament for all that we have lost of each other and ourselves, what was and what could have been. I wonder why there isn't more wailing for all that is now absent from our lives that we wanted to take with us, that we expected to be here, that we didn't think we would ever be without, that we didn't know we needed, lacked or missed out on until now. I refuse. I refuse to tie this sadness, this grief, this heartache up in a bow and present it as a gift. I will not make promises that it will get better in heaven or explain that everything happens for a reason or mention that your faith is being tested or try to convince you that this is a part of God's plan or shout that your suffering is spiritual warfare or attempt to reduce your pain to ignorance arguing that you just don't know the mind of God or tell you that God is a music lover and needed another angel to sing in some sadistic choir. Because I wasn't given any of those explanations. He was beating my mother. And she was suffering quietly. He threatened to kill her, but you wouldn't know it. I heard quarters, nickels, dimes, and pennies falling, and then her. But she didn't make a sound. I guess that she didn't want to wake the children or disturb our childhood, but it was too late for me. At 10 years old, I intervened. I put my body on the line, and in between them, my father lifted me up off the floor by my nightgown. And I kept my eyes steady on him until he put me down. 
You better get your daughter, he said. And I've been taking care of myself ever since. Coming to my defense and rejecting the conditions that my soul was put in. I have never had the luxury of a childhood free of trauma and suffering. I was introduced to suffering through my father's fist on my mother's face. Hello, how do you do that to someone you love? Rizma Minakim writes in my grandmother's hands, trauma can damage the genes in our cells. That damage can be passed on from parent to child and from the child to his or her own child. And I know, I know that there are some persons we just won't be able to get to once they have suffered because they have seen what human beings can do and they will never look at those homo sapiens the same way again. How you talk about suffering matters and it's important to me. It lets me know if I can trust you with my pain and if I can take you seriously. I can tell if you've been through something. And if so, it will give you credibility to speak on what we still can't talk about, to touch on what is tender, what is raw, what is still healing. We are never left unscathed after an experience of suffering. Still, we tell sufferers, leave it in the past, get over it. My ancestors didn't do it. Let sleeping dogs lie. Let's not air out our dirty laundry. But tell me, won't you tell me, how else do we come clean? Preaching while suffering may be even harder when you've taken your last hope pill. And ecclesial culture says that you can only fill your prescription at church on Sundays. To be sure, I'm not talking about an experience that causes you to wince or to whine, but one that takes your voice and leaves you speechless. If that's you, Trishka Goodwin says, bless yourself. May you never again feel paved over. Trying to grow while forced to make yourself palatable to tradition's sensibilities. Bless you. Breathe now. Eyes closed, hands pressed to sternum. Feeling the truth of fecundity, guidance, love, growing within your own being as what cemented you erodes, becoming shifting sand, turning to the depths of your own heart and let her hold you, ground you, nurture all your secret, sacred longings until they stretch to the light 
opening, unfurling, drawing strength from new roots. Bless yourself. The way the earth blesses herself with growth and abundance and seed and dormancy and devastation and rebirth. Know how unimaginably expansive you are compared to the smallness of convention's restraints. How rooted you are in your own belovedness, even when you forget. May your remembering, reconnecting, and reaching into the depths of your spirit, your heart's own rich soil, nourish your becoming. Still, there are some sufferings that will never make sense to me. Even if I know the cause, the effect will always be heartbreaking. Adam Buckle says, let heartbreak be your guide. Selah. While suffering still gets to me, I follow the mystical steps of Howard Thurman, who wrote in The Luminous Darkness, as I look back on my days, I never gave to the way of living demanded of me by my environment, the inner sanction of my spirit. I gave to it what may be called the sanction of strategy. There was a place in me untouched by these pressures on my life. So it is with me. And if it is not for you, then may it be. May it be well with your soul, with your inner being. The preacher in Ecclesiastes knows what it means to suffer and offers his observations. The chapter begins with the preacher saying that wisdom is good for you and especially for your skin. He gives it a glowing review. <laughs> he says that wisdom is evidenced by those who respect authority and offer a peaceable alli alliance and allegiance to the government. Uh, the preacher argues for limited engagement and fault-finding with those he believes have been providentially elected to rule. Now, clearly, this was written during a different administration. <laughs> it's also thousands of years before Manifest Destiny, the Doctrine of Discovery, American Slavery, European colonization, the attempted genocide of the indigenous, and the white supremacist terrorism that is still alive and well today. Oh yes, a part of lament is naming. Still the preacher is clear. No one who does evil can be saved by evil. Timothy Snyder shares with us in his book on tyranny, 20 lessons he's learned from the 20th century. Number one, do not obey in advance. Of course, due to the preacher's social status, he was not subjected to literacy tests or poll taxes or grandfather clauses used to thwart democracy. The preacher did not have to march for the right to vote. He had no experience with voter intimidation and suppression or the systemic injustice evidenced by redistricting and the redrawing of election maps to ensure that power remains in the hands of a few. 
Preacher says there is a right time and place to address our grievances. I would agree and add that January 6th was not it. Even if they were carrying out the orders of the president. See how context matters? America lost control of herself in that moment. Likewise, the preacher says we have no control over the wind or our time of death or battles. As long as men and women have the power to hurt each other, this is the way it is, he says. There isn't much difference today. The preacher says that evil people get the best funerals, the biggest wreaths, the most elaborate eulogies. When are they found out and punished for their deeds? It always seems that justice is a long time coming. Still, while the preacher is convinced that repeated offenders get away with it and grow old in their sin, it is better that we live in reverence to God. The preacher promises that it will be well with us. And it was going well. It's going really well. But then he says something that made me sick to my stomach. The preacher says there is this senseless switch this unearned swapping, this mismatched giving and taking. The preacher points it out to remind us that people don't always get what they have coming, that bad things happen to good people. Harry Kushner teaches us in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, pain is the price we pay for being alive. Dead cells, our hair, our fingernails can't feel pain. They cannot feel anything. When we understand that, our question will change from why do we have to feel pain to what do we do with our pain so that it becomes meaningful and not just pointless, empty suffering. Yes, <laughs> tell me, how do we redeem our suffering? Because good people get what the wicked are due, and the wicked get what the good people should receive. They are not treated according to their behavior or even what they believe. The preacher provides no excuses, no platitudes, and offers no theological justification. This is not a special circumstance like a Job test. This is a fact of life, which is why Jesus shouted from the mountain, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Helmut Taliki wants us to be clear about a few things, though. Uh, he wrote in Life Can Begin Again, The Lord Christ has never yet held out any promise to those who do a little brooding and thinking about these things. Understand only the person who does the will, who is earnest about it, who stakes their life on it. God is known only by those who venture, just as all great things in life are seen only when we are obedient and downright serious about them. Likewise, the preacher promises that he sees this unfair exchange of good and bad and bad for good with regularity. Sometimes life just isn't fair. You didn't deserve it. You didn't have it coming. You couldn't have done anything differently. You couldn't have stopped it. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Your suffering is not a reflection of you or an indication of your worth. The preacher says it's vanity. It's pointless and profitless. It's worthless. It's useless. It's purposeless. It's futile. There is no meaning to this kind of suffering, and we gain nothing. So what do we do now? <laughs> the preacher says, blow up some balloons, throw confetti, strike up the band, okay. cue the music, get on the dance floor, live it up, party. It's in the book. Make the best of the life you have. Celebrate what remains, what survived, what lasted, and who is still standing. You. Find joy wherever you can. Eat well and drink up. Make reservations without hesitation for breakfast and lunch and dinner. Cook nothing. Tell him the pastor said it. Cook nothing. There will be no dishwashing. <laughs> Get dressed up and stretch your stuff because you've taken so much in stride. And when you get home, after a long day of feasting at the tables prepared for you, send yourself an invitation to snack while on the couch because there is no compensation for suffering. It will not all balance out in the end. Some of us will endure the worst that life has to give. The poet Lucille Clifton understood this. She said, won't you celebrate with me what I've shaped into a kind of life? I had no model born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand, 
come celebrate with me that every day something, something has tried to kill me and failed. So take good care of yourself. And remember that there is at least one person, the preacher, talking sense about suffering. And now you know how to respond to it. So who's going to brunch with me? Yeah.